everyone. Welcome to episode 145 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, I feel like you and Dave are both looking really good on camera right now. Like you're just, pop- just popping. I'm looking powerful. I'm looking... Yeah. Strong. I'm looking subterranean. Yeah, Dave, you look. <laughs> Stanislav pointed this out. What's with the green screen? <laughs> I just wanted to up my production values, and later on, I'm going to have some fun things show up behind me, like <laughs> I don't know, a tar- uh, tarantula, giant tarantula, and maybe like a Godzilla. Spooky. Uh-huh. What about like Jurassic Park T-Rex type thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jaws. Jeff Goldblum, kind of like just <laughs> walking by. <laughs> Nature finds a way. That's right. Life finds a way. It's the principal author of Chaos Theory, Dave Harbarger. Hi. I'm in my basement again. I'm just really praying that a bug doesn't fall on me like it did last time Shane and I were recording. I was in the basement. Did Sorry, I took a week off. Yeah, yeah. A bug fell out of the it ceiling onto me, into my body. What kind of bug was it? <laughs> I don't know. I screamed and it threw it. And Tanner was nice enough to cut it out of the last recording I was on. I was so traumatized. I had to take a week off last week. Wow, that was that's why I was gone. Yeah, because you ate the, you ate the bug and it caused weird problems. You became semi semi mutant. Yeah, I have transformed from a delver of secrets to an insectile aberration and had a real wild wild week. It's a Jeff Goldblum reference. And it's, it's, it's a full circle, baby. We did it. On this week's episode, we have another patron request show. It's been a while, but this time it comes with a unique twist. Longtime friend of the show and Magic Community mainstay, Kilgore Trout a.k.a. Jason, has earned the top-tier reward from us of requesting an episode topic on the Dive Down. And rather than recommending a specific deck tech, which people frequently do and we love, Jason instead challenged us to experiment with some brand new, bleeding-edge podcasting technology via a call-in show. Wow. How do we make that happen? Not, it's not, yeah, I guess it's not a full call-in show, right? It's, we are going to hear people's voices, though. Right. It's a lot of long-time listeners, first-time callers. Yeah. I, how many people made that joke at the beginning of the clips? That's what I want to know. Long-time, first-time, long-time, first-time. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. These people are a little younger than us. Maybe they didn't listen to radio shows in reality. That's a good point, Dave. <laughs> I did. I'm, I'm younger than you guys, and I really grew up on terrestrial radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of love line over here. Yeah, oh, 100%. I used to fall asleep to Loveline. Huh. Did you ever try to do call-ins? Did you ever try to be one of those people like making a request on the radio or like getting in on like a, a live Q&A session? I remember one time I called in and I said, I really wanted to hear the sweater song by Weezer. <laughs> and they told me that they had just played it three minutes ago and they hung up on me. It what was jerks. It was a trauma, traumatic experience, like having a bug dropped on you. Well, hopefully this week is not a traumatic experience for our listeners hearing their own voice, because it is a little jarring for the first 145 weeks. <laughs> I'm terrified of what these people's voices are going to sound like. I haven't heard them before. They're pretty, they're pretty nice. Okay. Some people have beautiful... I think everyone has a beautiful voice. I'm voice blind, though. But that's right. We've been, we've been joking about it, but we are going to feature a bunch of audio from Jason, as well as other members of the Dive Down Nation while we answer some more pressing questions on everyone's mind. We're also going to kick off the show with another look at the latest innovations in competitive modern with the breakdown of the weekend's challenges. We're really a modern podcast these days, aren't we? Yeah, I love it. 100%. Go back home, baby. Feels good. But first, some housekeeping. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation, Barris T, 
James B. and Parker E. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, huge thanks to the Argus, a fellow lover of the band Ween. I see you, Argus, who went up a tier in their patronage support. Always much appreciated. And last but not least, we have some reviews to thank from Melusik, King Alarisil, Beach Toad, Neil Phelps, and Isuki Six. Yeah, people people heard the call last week and they responded. We even had one person message us saying that they were trying to leave a review, but like submitting wasn't working. So we see you out there. We appreciate all of you leaving reviews. And uh, yeah, makes me feel good. It also makes Dan and I feel good, but we're, we're not as, we're not fishing for it as much as he is. Yeah, I'm fine with it. All right. Patreon plug. So this is the only way you also can make your own episode of the dive down by joining our patreon a buck a week that's not enough for the episode request but it is enough to get you into the definitively discreet dive down discord more than that gets you various types of swag early access to the episode gets you play mats dave is has actually been sharing some drafts of the deck box that i'm sure he'll want to talk about in a second so yeah we're moving forward and we can do it even better with you all and your support. So go to over to patreon.com slash the dive down and sign up if you want. We appreciate it. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that I am working on the box designs now. Like Shane said, I shared some stuff. I'm sorry. It's taken so long. It's taken, it's taken a while. Uh, it's you all my some, fault. You it's some all changes. my changes. Um, some life stuff. Yeah. I'm busy at work, all that kind of stuff, but we're, we're working on it. We're getting there. We'll, uh, we'll be sharing designs as they get done. And then maybe we'll have a little vote among people in the page at the, uh, the discord when we get there and then decide from there what we want to do. But uh, yeah, we should be finishing that up in the next week or two and then moving on to manufacturing. Ambitious. I like it. Dave, you made some all right progress. We've seen some prototype art that we've already shared with within the Dive Down Nation. People seem to like the directions that we're, we're going in and some of the, the aesthetic styles that we're playing with. The visual language that you're exploring, the themes. Make, make it pop. Anything, anytime I can take a picture of a nebula and put a gradient over it and then do some Spyro art, you know I'm there for that. We're also brought to you by Mana Traders, by the way. 15% off your first two months. Sign up code THEDIVEDOWN2021. We appreciate all of you who are using that awesome service. All right, with all that out of the way, let's... I'm just going to take the breakdown today, guys. You sit back. Sit around with it. Relax. Grab the breakdown football and run. So we're going to look at both... The Saturday challenge, which we do have the top 32 and the top eight of Sunday. Um, I think the tournament probably just wrapped up. And so far, we only have the top eight results via Bamzing. Thank you, as always, Bamzing. So the overall meta game from Saturday in terms of a deck breakdown, the most popular deck of the day, at least in the top 32, was Hammer Time with seven copies. That's a lot of copies. Oof, that is one deck short of 25%. Am I right? I'll, I'll take your word for it. All right. For what it's worth, they're not all identical. As we'll talk about in the top eight, there were two different versions present in this tournament. But Hammers is kind of leading the pack currently in terms of popularity. In second place was Azorius Control. Similar story. We're seeing some innovations on blue-white control. Not all the blue-white controls were actually built the same way. We'll point out some of the changes among those there, but... Tied for second was Azori's Control, as well as Jund Saga, which also put up four copies into the top 32. All right. Well, there's half of the meta. That's half of the top 32. That is uh, 15 decks. So, interesting. 
And big big step down in the the frequency after these ones, huh? Because you go seven, four, four, and then all twos. We got some twos here. So two copies of four color control. That's the Omnath deck. Two copies of Burn. Two copies of Teamer Rhinos. A couple copies of Junsack. And a couple copies of, is it Merktide? It is Merktide. It sure is. Junsack. Yeah. Can't wait to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Two of them somehow in this particular top 32. That's interesting. Right. And this isn't the Yogmoth deck, right? This is. Oh no! This is this is Junsack. It's Goblin like, Bombardment. Yeah, very cool. And then our one-offs were Char Belcher, Affinity, Amulet Titan, Living End, Teamer Control, Tribal Zoo, and Elementals. So jumping into this top eight, in first place it was Curryvor playing a blue-white Yorian Blink Control deck. Yeah, we talked yeah. about Curryvor playing this deck uh, actually in the five O Dump episode that we did a couple weeks ago. I believe Curryvor was in that playing. Uh, this Yorian Blink. So it's interesting to see them win win one. Um, it's a cool deck. Absolutely. We haven't really heard from Yorian in a while. Mm-hmm. Our favorite Bird Serpent. Besides last week. Burpent. Bird Serpent had a pretty okay showing on Saturday, at least. Um, we didn't talk about this particular Yorian deck, though, if I recall. No, we did not. No, this is this is what we haven't heard from a, in a little bit. This, this exact style. This sort of like, you know, Azorius control with going back in time with four restos and three Vendillion click. Mm-hmm. It's like, is this 2021? Right. So they basically took today's Azorius control deck with the chalices and four Teferis, um, you know, counterspell, spreading seas even, and then took the old control deck with Restoration Angel, Vendillion click, uh, Wall of Omens. Yeah. Added Omen of the Seas because you got to blink something and draw cards. <laughs> and that's their deck. I thought the sideboard was really nice because it was very simple and streamlined. It only had four different cards, including three copies of Elspeth, Sun's Nemesis. Wow. So that's that's the four mana Elspeth that only ticks down and then it has escape. And I, yeah. I, I, I've played with this card a little bit in modern. And I think this is a great planeswalker against burn. Why is that? You make blockers and you gain life. That's why. Yeah. It's, there you it's, go. It's that other card, but on a, a planeswalker that keeps coming back. What's that? It's not raise the alarm. Timely reinforcements. Timely reinforcements. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those old friends. So yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of just like the timely reinforcements that you can keep casting over and over. Yeah, Dovin's veto has been creeping up a little bit in popularity. I think that that's really smart right now. It just it's you know it's a counter it's a counter spell that can't be countered. So in today's meta, why not? Right. It's it's. A control mirror breaker, other than Teferi Time Reveler, Dovin's Vetoes. Basically the best card in your deck against any other strategy with counter spells. Cool deck. You think you think they're blinking Chalice of the Void a lot? Put it back on zero? Why not? I doubt it. Probably, Probably not, not often, but... But maybe. That, I mean, that is a big brain play, though. Maybe it comes up occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I have it on one, and then they try to ca- cascade into Living End, and you're like, blink. D- does that work? So if Living End is on the stack, and, and you blink the Chalice, and now it's on zero, it prevents... Living in from resolving, even though it's already yeah, on the stack. Because well, the chalice would go back. This is how the stack works, Stan. The the chalice blink would go on top of the stack. Whenever a player plays a spell with a converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on Chalice of the Void, counter that spell. Oh boy, this ooh, is definitely ooh, a judge call. Play, plays a spell. What weird wording? I don't know. So don't I, th- I think me. you have to do it in response to the cascade trigger. Is is maybe? Yeah, this, I think you're right. The, Judge. the actual solution. So if you try to pull off this insane play that will almost never come up, remember, do it in response to the Cascade Trigger. Uh, I, you don't hear the weirdest, well, weirdest thing to me about this is I have this deck. 
I was just Wait, looking in, in Goldfish. You have four solitudes. Yeah, I could play this deck. You don't have chalices, though. Except, sorry, I don't have. Ch- that's what I meant to say. I have this deck except for chalice, which I would like. I'm gonna buy soon. Except for the sixty-five dollar card. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's a zillion dollar deck. So let me have my moment. What are you gonna do? All right, second place, Darth Kid on Black White Hammer. Pretty stock main deck, but Shane, there's some innovation on the yeah. side. I mean, I don't even know what I what I call this innovation or just like experimentation. Hanger back two hanger back walkers. I don't. I mean, I don't know what this is doing exactly besides just sort of providing redundant body against removal. Like you're not you're not going to ever cast this for a lot of mana in this deck typically, right? So it's just like, hey, uh, when this dies, I get another person. But this could be anything. Like this could be, uh, uh, some random. What what is what are those ones from? Like, uh, Dave, come here, help me out. It's it's uh, it's something <laughs> that when it die when it dies, it makes a one one. Like uh, all sorts of things. Uh, Doom Traveler. Ways. Yes, Doom Traveler. <laughs> yeah. Give me a Doom Traveler. Doom Traveler. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess this could be Doom Traveler. I will say, you know, it plays you get a flyer out of it. It plays better with the artifact. You get a flyer out of Doom Traveler too because it makes a spirit. Um, the you know, it plays well with art- artifact synergies. I don't know. I mean, I will say this. Uh, I'm sure that Darth Kid had a plan. Darth Kid is a very good. <laughs> streamer and uh, mm-hmm. and magic online grinder so i'm sure there's some reason that hangerback walker is being tested out as a piece of tech even if we're not exactly sure what the what the angle is right now i sure. mean it's a great card to grind with luris right not only do you get a body back when the hangerback dies but then you just keep recasting the hangerback bigger and bigger if you have the extra mana yeah yeah that can make sense too but still you know interesting to see a little twist in hammer let's see some more Third place, Frackham on Boros Burn. Basically a stock list of burn. It's another yep. big, big magic online grinder. Fourth place, Wolfie98 on Red White Hammer. Mm-hmm. Playing red for Magnetic Theft, as well as some copies of Wear Tear in the sideboard. And that's basically what I was alluding to earlier in terms of the, inno- the different versions of Hammer that we see in these results. It's a split between Black White and Red White. Oh, I... I mean, I appreciate that they are, in fact, different decks, but like in terms of just present metagame presence, their game plan is ninety nine percent the same. That's fair. Yeah, it's mirror mirror breaker, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Which in this in, in this meta sure seems good. In the top thirty two, and there's six other people on hammer other than you, like maybe maybe it's worth it. Yeah, there's a lot of mirror breaking tech we're seeing in these challenges between the hammer decks running magnetic theft periodically or the blue white decks running a bunch of Dovin's Veto into fairies. It's like we have a pretty diverse metagame in general, but we also have a bunch of powerhouses that require mirror breaking technology. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting. Fifth place, P Tarts to win on red white burn. Yeah. I'm still, I'm, it's just still interesting. I will note that. The decision between Sanctifier Onvec and Core Firewalker has not yet been made by Burn Pilots. I still definitely see, you know, three to four cores. Sometimes I th- see three to four Sanctifier Onvecs, and of course, Core Firewalker is just going to be better in a mirror type situation because you gain life yeah. when players cast red spells, and it has pro red. Of course, it doesn't do the same things that Sanctifier Onvec does, but sometimes burn probably doesn't need to care about that in a world that's very burn heavy sixth place punt then wine on amulet titan so this is the karn great creator version of amulet but otherwise no new technology in this deck amulet this Another is a name. deck that people have been saying is like bad dead unplayable 
And punt them on, prove them wrong. Sort of. It could still win, of course. It has that raw power level. Punt and wine. Well, another well-known streamer. I forget uh, their real name, but I think that they were kind of an amulet main all these years. I'm going to double check past results, but do it, Dave. I wonder if amulet's an all right pick against a field full of control because you can run cavern of souls to protect your Titans where it might be a little bit harder and like a, a, a environment that has more blue red decks, for example, that can just play blood moons and shut off the amulet and shut off primeval Titan that way. Yeah. I mean, sure, it's an option. It also could run Urza Saga, which is good against control for the grinding. And then, you know, Urza Saga, of course, is very good with the amulet. And I think they're, the, the, the cavern, of course, does help, but you do have a lot of other spells you, you want to resolve mm-hmm. in this deck, right? Like it might be Summoner's Pack to get your Primeval Titan. It might be Dryad to turn on your uh, Valakit. So I think there's just a lot of stuff you want to resolve. But yeah, you're right. You can just win if you stick a Primeval Titan and it doesn't get removed for a turn or two. Punt and Wine has pages and pages of tournament results on Goldfish, and it looks like Literally all the all the results are am, some build of Amulet Titan. So, so they know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Who's this next player, Stan? Uh, in seventh place, it's Canister on four color Omnath featuring Yorion. Yeah, the four color Sky Noodle deck. Uh, Martinez DP has been playing this. Some other people have been playing this. Uh, Martinez DP got second place in last Sunday's challenge. Yeah, if you remember the week before, Martinez DP had piloted two separate versions of this deck to five O's in the deck dump that we had dissected the last mm-hmm. time I was on, and you know it was part of what made Shane and I say that we thought this was a deck to keep an eye on going forward for the next couple of weeks. And here it is, the Ice Fang Coatl Four Solitude Two Fury version, Yorian. This one even has two time warps, so you can do that kind of whole thing where later on in the game you just kind of take over by cast a bunch of time warp over and over again yeah well i think when canister identifies that a deck has inherent power i mean one i think canister is willing to experiment with new decks mm-hmm. which is a strength of of his and also canister can win with a ham sandwich but the fact that he is choosing to run this gets a top eight with it uh i think it's showing that this deck has inherent power i think we know that these four color control decks are doing pretty well lately and i think that this has legs yeah, so for those unfamiliar, this is basically a mix of a little bit of snow. You know, you got Ice Fang Coatles as well as other blink targets among the elementals such as Solitude and Fury. Mm-hmm. Jams in the Eternal Witness Time Warp Ephemerate combo to take infinite turns. And then you have eight planeswalkers across four Teferi and four Ren and Six. Mm-hmm. So it's like all the good cards in a deck with Yorion to blink. And then it seems plays, like a deck that I am never going to be able to manage on Moto. Too many yes. triggers. <laughs> yeah, this seems like a deck that none of us are ever going to try. Yeah, it costs two thousand dollars in paper. About two thousand. Yes, United States dollars <laughs> each. Finally, in eighth place, Tia ninety three on a pretty stock version of Is It Tempo. Yeah, they're running a few more Force of Negation than I typically have seen main. And shaving an arc, arc mage's charm down, that kind of thing. But yeah, largely you have like what, maybe three or four flex spots in this deck. And they're just kind of saying, I want a few more forces. An honorable mention for Sodek, barely missed top eight, came in ninth with Red Green Char Belcher, which is another deck that we sort of haven't seen in a while. And the only new card that I saw in this version were three copies of Strike It Rich in the main. 
which is that new card from Modern Horizons 2. For a single red, you make a treasure token. And it has flashback for tuna red. That's a sorcery. So it's kind of interesting. Helping you have a pass-through card, basically. Yeah. I also wanted to shout out the 18th place Teamer Tempo deck by First Turnigator. So this is a deck with four Ice Fang, only four snow-covered lands, if you're not including counting all the fetches. And one of those lands is Rhinewood Falls, which is the blue-green tap land from Kaldheim. Mm-hmm. And then the deck is four Merktide, four Snapcaster Mage, a Brazen Borrower, and then just 25 control spells. And four Ice Fang Kwan. I know you mentioned it, but right, right, right. yeah, there's 13 creatures here. Bunch of counters, removal, four Thought Scour, and four Consider. He's got the, the eight Scour package, which I just... Hmm just came up with and i'm gonna say forever sweet perfect eight scour dot deck all right let's head into sunday's top eight really fast that's all we've got thanks again bamzing for your hard work first place this is a yogmoth deck piloted by demonic tutors and I, I may be using their twitter handles because that's how bamzing attributes them demonic tutors i know is been grinding yogmoth i think they also recorded the, the entire event and i think it's on like their twitch vods so if we do, if we forget to put it in the link which i probably will in the show notes then you can find them and i'm sure it's a good way to learn what this deck is doing and how it's doing it is this the best finish we've seen from a yogmoth deck since like <sighs> mh2 or really in terms since of the deck emerged in terms of winning the challenge it's pro i think we might have seen one more yogmoth win uh, but yeah, you're right. I think we've seen some top eights. We've seen a couple times it's like three copies in a top 32. But I think, yeah, just coming out and winning it, it might be the first in quite a while. Very cool. LVC on Azorius Control. I believe they responded to Bamzing on Twitter saying this is not a Chalice Control version. Third place, Demir Mill by Wuda Wuda. Fourth place, Hammer by an actual potato. Hmm. Uh, Familiar place, with our channels in the Discord, I guess. Yeah, fifth place, uh, Wafo Tapa on Azorius Control. Oh, Wafo has been playing a lot of Moto lately. Is that yeah, right? They're, you know, they're killing it. And one of the better players, especially on Magic Online, it looks like. Especially on Blue White Control. Yeah. Sixth place, Jun Saga, Taka Yin Izu. Seventh place, Silent Song on Living End. Eighth place, Javier D. Magic. I don't know who that could possibly be. Maybe Javier Dominguez. I don't know. On, on Jund Saga featuring Luris. Wow. There's some killers in this top eight, too. Look at that. This Wafo is Tapa and Javier Dominguez. Yeah, just like, hey, I'm going to play against some of the best players in the world. <laughs> this is how I'm spending my Sunday. Let me fire it up and just go up against <laughs> Everett and, and Javier Dominguez and BBDR. Yeah, sure. Everybody's around all the time. Perfect. So what are we seeing here overall? Hammer. Hammer, 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 hammer. There's even two hammers in this top eight, right? Nah, uh, one hammer. Uh, just one. No, just right. the one. Still. So. Just, just a mere one. Just the one. Yeah. Yeah, like we're not seeing anything, I think, come out of nowhere, especially at this point, right? Um, it's not like uh, Midnight Hunt blew up the metagame, but I think we're just continuing to see some solidification around the known good decks that keep on showing up to challenges, right? Definitely. Yeah, I think Yogmoth is one of those fringe decks that's been on the outskirts and it's really good but it just doesn't have a lot of people working on it is is the sense i get maybe because it's tough to navigate it's also i think a little soft to counterspell in particular or at least my counterspell sure decks have have an all right time against it but it's a great combo strategy that can win out of nowhere can reward a lot of skilled play 
Um, and just to see that finally come to fruition here in winning the challenge, I think is, is pretty exciting and maybe can get some more eyes on this deck because it has so much potential. For sure. Yeah. Also, I'd point out that um, Wuda Wuda also streamed their, their modern challenge. So if you want to see someone run UB Mill um, through an entire challenge, you can do that um, as well. The link is on Bamzing's Twitter too. Nice. Awesome. I mean, what this really makes me think is that we kind of know what we're testing <laughs> perhaps next week. Yeah, I was going to say, it felt like coming off of the last episode that you two did that I wasn't on, that there was a little bit of like, should we play Cascade decks or should we play kind of blue-white controlled Jund and Hammer? <laughs> and um, I feel like this week has been pretty definitively pushing in that we should be looking at kind of like Hammer plus the two updated boomer lists kind of like i mean blue eye control honestly i mean if you look at it there's a lot of new cards in that in that deck but the strategy is of course as old as you know time itself as, as old as magic itself exactly as old as rhyme yeah and while it has a new twist with running chalice main and trying to be the best chalice deck that there is around right now there's you know the resurgence of blue white cannot be overstated and ever since we had Everett on I don't know, five weeks ago, I guess now was when he was on and he said, yeah, blue white controls all over the place. And we hadn't quite seen it yet. It just feels like it's been everywhere, everywhere since he mentioned that. Card's right good. On. And then pair Dex, it with Jund. Is good. Like Jund is good too. Well, I guess we figured out next week's episode. This sure might, seems like it. This, is, this might be a good time to take a break and jump into the dive. Now we have a lot of questions to answer and I want to spend as much time as possible making sure we make Jason happy. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. And we're back. On this week's episode, we teased this in the intro. We used this brand new technology. This is true. This is not a bit. We use the service called Pod in Box. It's mm-hmm. not Pod in a Box, just Pod in Box. It's a Pod in a Box. Pod in a Box. And what we invited our patrons especially Jason, to do is record themselves asking us questions. And we got a lot of great responses from all over the world. Amazing. my favorite. I still can't believe that, but thank you, Norway. Thank, thank you, everybody. Six continents. Six Norway of, loves us. Six continents. Yeah. Are there six? There's more than six. <laughs> You're not seeing Dave counting his fingers at home. <laughs> Dave, everyone knows Dave's not good at geography. So Shane's got some of these audio clips teed up. Oh, they're, they're teed up, my friend. And... What we're going to do, we're going to play them. You're going to hear them, and then we're going to talk about them. We did also invite some people to submit questions via the Discord, but we're going to prioritize the audio questions first. So we're going to try to get to yeah. the text questions before the show ends, but that's that's where we're going to have to make the cutoff if we, if we run out of time. So, one, I'm really amped about this because these episodes are fun. Mm-hmm. They're, they're fun for us to kind of just you know shoot from the hip a little bit, answer some the most intense and fun questions from our community and stuff like that. But Stan, I actually wanted to start with a text question because it's what we do when we have our, our bonus episodes. It's inside the grinder studio. Oh, oh sure. I, th- I think we should just leave it off the same way. Did Jason, Jason asked us to do inside yeah, the grinder. Studio? Jason was like, just Jason was like, just do inside the grinder studio. I can think of no better way to start this than for us to answer these five questions. So I'm, I'm going to ask, I'll just ask this first one and I'll wait for you two to answer. What's your favorite card? Snapcaster Mage. Really? <laughs> wow, Stan. Okay. Are you really surprised? Yes, I am surprised. Mine's Lightning Bolt. Always has yeah. been, always will yeah. be. 
Yeah, always was. Always was. Always has been. Okay. Right. Uh, this is tough. Thoughtsies? This is a shocking answer from you, I feel like, for me, for some reason. Well, okay, here's the other The other option is like Elvish Mystic. But <laughs> what? I, <laughs> Dave, should we just do the show together? I don't, yeah. What are you talking about? Thoughtsies. I just love, I, here's where I like Thoughtsies, okay? Okay. I love, the, I like the choices involved. I, I feel like it's a card where for one mana, I can make or break a game. And I always feel like I have a lot of agency in the way that I use my thoughtsies. And so it's kind of, that's why I like it is because it's, it's powerful, it's efficient, and it's, it's, it's agency inducing. Gives me my agency. Mm-hmm. Why okay. Elvish Mystic over Lanor Elves? Well, because I played Elvish Mystic in Con Standard. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then also kept, was able to keep using it along with Lanor Elves in Pioneer. Fair enough. Stan, why is your Snapcaster Mage and not the so many times before previously mentioned Counterspell and Lightning Bolt? You know, I was thinking about that, and it's because you pair a Snapcaster with, like, Snapcaster enables extra Lightning Bolts, extra Counterspells, and <laughs> that's just kind of the deck I always really want to play, is just those three cards, and Snapcaster, it's a little bit of a, perso- a personified Stanislav. I feel like you've really gotten back to your roots with that, because I, I feel like when I first met you and you're like i want to play modern you got into snapcaster pretty early and then snapcaster was kind of not that good for a while but you played a lot of blue moon where it was really good and then here we are years later still doing it it's, this is me after all these years yeah guys what's your least yeah. favorite card because that's evil titan primeval titan primeval titan easy snap keep primeval titan it's a t- it's tough for me to answer something other than primeval titan i have to say wow um, i didn't know we were both I, didn't, I knew that we both didn't like it but i didn't know it would be our number one most hated card urza's tower is kind of high on the list for me too honestly <laughs> but um yeah i don't like big mana strategies so i'm any of those are fine for me to say are my least favorites I think mine is actually Chalice of the Void. I hate playing against Chalice of the Void. It feels like unless I have a specific answer that anticipated Chalice of the Void, I'm just, I'm screwed. You can get locked out. Yeah, yeah, lock pieces are generally frustrating for sure. Yeah. Okay. Favorite format. Do we really need to answer this one among the three of us? Is it all of us on Modern right now? I mean, Shane has wavered between Pioneer and Modern at different points in time. Sure. Dan's pretty deep on Historic, but where's everybody at right now? I mean... Modern's in one of the best places I can ever remember it being. Oh, yeah, definitely modern. Same, same. All right, here's one with longer answers. Biggest <laughs> misplays. Biggest misplays. I apologize if I give an answer that I've already given to this question in the past yeah, in previous like Q&A episodes. Yeah, but these stories are good, and you know we have new people coming, and uh, I'm going to make Shane go first because his is embarrassing, so go. Yeah, okay. Um, Don't tell heard- people who it was against until no. after the story oh, okay. is done. All right, we've all heard the. I'm sure people of who have longtime listeners of this podcast have has heard the the story of young prodigy Shane in the early days of getting into Magic, and I had red green monsters at a PPTQ back when those existed at my LGS, and uh, yeah, I, I I ran hot. I got into the top four of the competition and it was up against green uh in enchantments like enchantress style i think like mono green enchant uh sort of an enchanting ramp they were green black i believe right because it was it had like um doom doom wake giant was that the name of the the giant in it yeah and and that stuff that was the kind of green black deck that was big in that theros cons yeah what was the theros like enchanting like uh name what was that ability called constellation constellation yeah Yeah. so anyway got in the top four uh i was really 
anxious, really nervous. I was up against someone who I think I already knew their name as like, and this is just a sneak peek. Uh, and you know, they were a better player than I was. And so this, I don't, I think I still would have lost the game pretty conclusively, but I, I played, I think not one, but hang on. Can yeah. we say that, that this was in game two, right? Yeah, was this game two right. or the three and you okay. destroyed them in game one? With yeah. Gregory Monsters, you played. You played. I think you played double Storm Breath Dragon by turn five, and had, were just killing them completely. And so it was like game one was done really quickly, and we were all standing there. We were like, Shane might go to the finals in like his second tournament ever at a, at a PPTQ. <laughs> and um, we moved no. to game two. And it's not meant to be. And you also, I believe you didn't sideboard or you forgot to bring in your sideboard pieces like destructive revelry like you just kind of kept playing i don't that's you're gonna man that's even worse don't even remember this one but then the real thing happened here i'm I'm glad i'm glad you're stealing my story here no actually i'm i'm glad because i don't want to tell it anyway uh post combrest stormbreath dragons dragons yeah okay like so not not didn't happen only once it happened twice Twice in one game i think it was it was at one game or sequential games either way uh, i was just playing terribly i was uh super anxious and Stormbreath dragon has haste by the way yeah Mm -hmm. and that's why it was bad that he played him post-combat oh here's what i want to know what was your immediate reaction to doing that like did oh, you, i messed up did first you time you didn't know i think first oh, time yeah. you completed the game and we told you in between game two I, or yeah. maybe we couldn't even talk to you like we were standing yeah, there in so. between game and know. two game game two and three. Oh, yeah you can't yeah you couldn't talk to me but anyway uh it was against uh bk andrew, andrew, Be- andrew backstrom yeah was, who uh, yeah was was okay okay at magic he yeah. continues to be okay at magic yeah he's really he's pretty good yeah anyways stan biggest misplay the one that always comes to mind is the MCQ at GP Denver that we went to a year or two ago when I'm on, is it Phoenix and I'm against humans and I think it's game three and I flip a thing in the ice and I bounce their board back and they have all non basic lands. And despite having a blood moon in hand, I failed to cast the blood moon and think I've got time to just cast something else but they just completely rebuilt their board in a single turn and ran me over. And it was a winnable game if I had just cast the Blood Moon. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's the one that always comes to mind. I think I had other misplays with Phoenix just because I was playing that deck a lot and trying to get better with it and would sometimes get so deep in the tank that I would you know, miss a line or, or fail to play to my outs. A similar GP in that season, or an MCQ in that season, I was on Phoenix against Blue Moon and... I needed a spell pierce to win, and all I, the only cantrip I had in my hand was Manamorphose, so it was just like a blind draw, and I didn't do it, and then I drew a card for a turn, and it was spell pierce. It's kind of lost. <laughs> womp womp. Yeah. Gosh. Dave, have you ever misplayed? No. Never. Never. Never, 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 never. That's why um, godfather. Actually, the one that I probably remember the most right now, and this is, this is extremely formative, is... Um, playing mirage visions standard at like a a ptq back in the day and i was playing prosperity bloom and uh i comboed off and i was at three life and i had hit my opponent with a giant drain life on the stack and then uh they lightning bolted me in response and i just picked up my cards and left and back in the day the stack there wasn't really a stack at this point in time all the spells that were in play would resolve so i wouldn't have died to lightning bolt because i had drained life them for 20 so, oh, so you're you were predicting the stack existing 
Yeah, kind of. And the timing working the way that it did where you die as soon as you hit zero, which just it, it did. That's not the way the rules worked at the time. And, you know, that wasn't great. I like tilted off for the rest of the tournament after that and was just kind of like, ah, and never played combo decks again, really. So, so do you think your opponent was misplaying? Was that an unforced error on your opponent's part? Or do you think they were trying to get in your head? I think they were probably trying to get in my head. But we were both sixteen-year-old kids, so I'm not totally sure. <laughs> but you know, I think I think it was on purpose. Yeah. Gotcha. Junior league games. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Stan, what's your favorite piece of magic slang? The final question in the Grinder Studio. So this is one I actually learned recently from an episode of Arena Decklist from like a month or two ago, really, and it was an episode that was just. Jerry Thompson and Cedric was the guest. I think Brian was moving across the country. Mm-hmm. And Cedric kept Again. referring to the being in the tank. And I mm-hmm. think I actually said this a few minutes ago. And it's it's the funniest thing in the world where you're just so focused on a single decision that you just wait and hold priority for like several minutes. That's kind of my newest one that I've recently learned. Yeah, that's poker slang. Actually, oh. being in the tank, that's where that that's where that comes from. Does it, it mean sit, the same thing? Yeah, it's sitting there for a long time when it's your turn to act. Gotcha. You know, being in the tank, trying to think it through, but like making it feel like it's a really, really long time. Yeah. I know I know I know yours, Dave. I know it. Okay, what is it? It's tilt. Yep. It is tilt <laughs> for sure. Hundred percent. You're, you're you're the anti tilt. Well, I I'd like to be. I try to be. But um it's certainly part of something I think about in my life a lot is like, am I tilting? What can you know, trying to I think about it in those terms, whether I'm playing magic or not, but that that's another poker term as well, uh, of course. But that, that's probably my favorite magic slang. Other than the other thing that's my favorite magic slang, and I don't know if this is magic slang or not, but uh, I love when you guys read a card like you've never heard of a card that does this effect before, and I go, oh yeah, it's a blank <laughs> effect. Mm-hmm. And then Stan goes, Hmm. <laughs> like, which is maybe that's more of an inside joke between the three of us, but I think it's a fun piece of slang as well for me to be like, yeah, that's, effect. A, that's a pandemonium effect. Oh, cool. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for Dave. reminding us of this tempest rare. <laughs> <laughs> I think mine is scoop. Although, uh, just because I do it often, but my, my magic arena name is tilt scoop. So I just combine two of them because you know, you tilt, then you scoop if you're me. Okay. We are out of the first, we're out of the inside of the Grinder studio. We've done what we make our special guests do when we have them on. Now it's time for audio. And so I've kind of, I've tried to pick a flow of questions that lets us space out a special guest, Jason, and his uh, many audio questions. And also, I, I think that these kind of flow in a good way. And so let's start out with this one. Dave, Stan, Shane, what's up? This is Dom. Yeah, I'm curious, uh, what are you most excited about for MTG Vegas? I'll tell you right now what I'm most excited about, Dom. Getting rich really quick while playing slots on the side. <laughs> <laughs> you're just going to uh, win the progressive jackpot. Yeah. Stan, you know what a progressive jackpot is? No. <laughs> Even better. You'll definitely that, win one that when then. you put in a dollar and you win a car? Exactly. I'm most excited to um, potentially meet people like Dom, who I've been talking with online forever, and uh, hearing that voice, that amazing voice. He he sounded like he was in a recording booth, right? I mean, you know, he's got a lot of pro, good quality audio gear. He, I think he does like audio video project management. Yeah, he's someone that we do ask questions of sometimes about tech things like that. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not I'm not guaranteed to go to this, yeah. as we know. Uh, we'll see how it goes over the next six weeks or so, but um, that's the thing that I'm the most excited about for sure. Stan, what are you actually excited about? Because I know it's not slots. You don't really like gambling that much. I love gambling, so if I go to Vegas, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play Magic, and then you'll see me at the poker tables later. But I, I've just never gambled, so I I do want to do that. Hmm. Okay, I'm not gonna play slots, but like, yeah, I want to play some blackjack. Maybe like find an exciting craps table, blow on someone's dice. Sure. That whole dynamic is probably pretty weird right now with masks and everything, but maybe it's just stare. Maybe they, people just ask you to say, will you stare at my dice for luck? Are you telling me I can't get rich quick in Vegas? Uh, I'm telling you some people do, but probably won't be you. Why not me? Why not have, you? Have I not earned it? Shane, what are you the most excited about for the potential of a Vegas? I mean... I just want to see people like everyone's very amped up, right? Like everyone is very excited to be doing this. They're excited to be traveling. They're excited to be traveling for magic. Uh, and so that'll be fun. Just being around a bunch of people who are hyped to be together and to be playing magic. Uh, we had a lot of fun at GP Phoenix last year with just a few of us. And I think we'll have a lot more and I think that'll be great. The convention atmosphere can be pretty fun. I don't think I'm going to do the main event because I want to be able to focus on having as much fun as I can. So that'll be side events, getting cards signed, connecting with, I think, citizens and other people uh, around the, the country again, organizing some hangs for like friends and fans and stuff like that. So I think it's just going to be a fun time. I like Vegas uh, and I'm looking forward to going back. I like it. Would you play the main event, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, if I go, I'll definitely play the main event. I, I don't know how long I would hang in for it, which is kind of goes into the next question. Don't want to spoil it, but um, I would play the main event for sure. So speaking of the main event, here's our next question from Jason. So I've never played anything longer than a five-round PPTQ. Uh, what are your tips for playing eight-plus rounds of Magic in Vegas? Eight-plus rounds can be a grind. Oh, yeah. Uh, bring a water bottle. And and snacks. <laughs> no, are you gonna talk? Are you gonna talk about sleep and hydration and food? Yeah, I mean, make sure you get some sleep. Get those caffeinated Cliff Bars. It's important. You, you got to have blood sugar. You know what I think is actually more important than that is one of two things: is practice a lot so you can identify uh, situations that you're used to. Mm-hmm. Because the more like novel situations you find yourself in, the more you have to think about it. And the more like automatic you can be or the more like pattern recognition you can have in as many games as possible and like kind of know what to be looking for and know how things play out, the better off you'll be because you're, you're not actually, you're, you're being more uh, using your intuition and your gut that's been developed by your matches. Great point, Shane. And uh, to build on that a little bit, if you're playing a known entity, so like maybe you're going to actually end up playing one of the decks that we cover in the Road to Vegas series. I think it's really important to know the mirror because in one of these large modern events, you're going to see a lot of familiar strategies. And if you're on one of those decks that have crosshairs on them, being able to navigate a mirror match, which is so frequently 50-50 and kind of depends on the person who can outplay their opponent and you know get a little luckier too, I think can actually go a long way in getting you some extra percentage points. I would say... Number one is you're probably not going to play eight per less rounds in a single go. Like just keep not, not to be a downer, but you know, (laughs) 
to play eight plus rounds. So I, I would say walk away when you when the tournament's not a positive experience anymore. Right. That's the number one thing. Like, don't play eight rounds just because you paid for it. You want to play eight rounds. Like, don't climb up the unless you're having a lot of fun. Don't climb up the losers bracket. Like, walk away when you get to one and three. Like, just just treat it like a normal tournament like that and go find something else to do. Go do a side event instead. Take a break. Like, take a break when you can, Um, because the people who have to play the A plus rounds are the ones who are doing really well, probably going to top eight and things like that and are playing for for prizes and i think just keep that in perspective is like hey most of us probably aren't going to do that when we're there and that's fine that's that's great um i think if you do get into the day where you start start off your day really strong and you start to feel like you're going to go long i would definitely figure out ways to take small breaks to kind of like uh, focus your attention somewhere else for a minute and then come back when it's time to play again. I also think that, you know, when you get into that mode where you're like, oh, I'm actually going to have to play around seven, eight, nine, I would start thinking about, <clears throat> I don't know, I kind of slip into a mode where I slip like when I know I have a really long day at work, which is just like, I just put on my like game face. I know I'm getting down to business. I try to like hyper focus on what I'm doing and just do the work, like go through the process, keep my play slow, play deliberately, stay in as engaged as possible. Don't get distracted as you get tired. And then, um, you know, when it's not fun, walk away because you want it to be fun. So Dave, to your point about not playing all right rounds just because you paid for it, for me, that is fun to do. Like, un- unless I'm truly loathing the experience, then I'll drop if I'm losing, right? And, you know, I'm out of like cash contention, but I, I don't think you're recommending people drop, you know, at X3, even if they're enjoying themselves. Like, if you want to play Magic, play Magic. And, and I think the reason why I frequently like to do that, even if I know that I'm not going to cash or top eight, is because I try to go in playing a deck that I love to play. And, and I think that's also an important lesson is, like, if you're going to commit as much time as you, like, physically can, don't play the best deck if you don't have experience or think that you might not dig it and i think like that's one of the ways to have endurance is just to actually enjoy the cards that you're drawing and casting i think that's a great point especially for like our audience stan which is like the casual spike audience you probably should go in playing your favorite and that'll help you stay the most engaged yeah that's where i was going right after that dave was like engagement because you have to be engaged to win matches of magic most of the time it's, it's really hard to be engaged in every match for an entire day. And so one way to do that is play a deck that you like, hopefully a deck that you have practice with because that reduces the amount of engagement, like I said before. Or you can just play a deck where, honestly, you don't have to be as engaged and still get a lot of the percentage points out of it. You know, like I, I audible to burn all the time, mm-hmm. for, better, for better or for worse. And if you're not engaged, you will lose games. You will lose matches from just some silly mistake when you're not paying attention, when you're just sort of on autopilot, you're not thinking about what your opponent is doing. And you're just like, well, I just, I didn't think about that and I'm going to lose. And so being able to maintain that engagement for a long time is hard. So make it as easy as possible and use your downtime wisely. You know, if, if you, if you refresh by talking to people, between rounds, then then do that. But I think if you know you're the kind of person that needs a mental break, needs a rest, like actually just be like, don't even find your friends. Just go sit at a table. You know, close your eyes, meditate on what the next round is going to be, what your you know strengths and weaknesses and particular matchups are, or just stop thinking altogether and just zone out and uh, do what you know is best for you. 
All right. Next question we have from Jeff. Hey, guys. Just wanted to know what all of your guys' favorite foil card is. Thanks. Mm, Dave, you love foils. I don't really. But <laughs> I, I do have a favorite foil card, and that is my Arena 2002 foil basic islands that are uh they're beta art they look like beta mm. foil beta cards and i love them i used to have a ton of them i sold a bunch of them to trade into other decks uh i regret that now because i think the first time i answered this question they were 13 dollars a piece and i believe now they're 95 dollars a piece and i only have two left so um, oh my gosh yeah. so Holy sorry moly. about that but th that's my favorite foil card Mm -hmm. because it's a, you know beta islands are awesome and foil beta island even better Shane, you've been on a foil kick lately yeah it's me me i'm the foil boy uh and i definitely have like a favorite collection of foils right now that's just all the reanimator stuff i got when it was still pretty darn cheap like i've got you know the retro foil persist and the extended art unmarked grave and the sketch archons and the the sketch priest of fell rights and all that kind of stuff but i think the the ones that have the most utility and I think look really dope are the foil retro prismatic endings. I just think the retro foils look really good. I, I think white is one of the weaker frames for retro. Like I'd really like the black foils a lot. Like black retro looks dope. Re uh, retro blue looks amazing. Uh, but yeah, they, it's a great card and it looks great in retro foil. So prismatic ending is currently my favorite. Right on. I very rarely play foils in a deck. And the one exception are my foil Odyssey basic lands, which I'll put in a deck sometimes. But even that, I'm reticent to use those outside of like an FNM or casual environment. Because if you get deck checked and your only foils are basic lands, you're going to get a lot yeah, of suspicion. Yeah, it's not a good idea. Not a good idea. Alternatively, what I have been doing lately is getting foil tokens. So... For, oh yeah, those from, are fun. For my yeah. Crashing Footfalls deck, I just got eight foil rhinos, for example. That's a lot of rhinos. Well, you know, maybe I cash all my... Er, maybe <laughs> just I in case, I make it all my, happen. Yeah. Maybe I cast all my rhinos, then I want That's to like have when them I all bring foiled out. Ten prowess monk tokens. <laughs> That's optimism <laughs> right there, especially for modern. <laughs> I have two monk tokens. That that I should be plenty. <laughs> you ready for the next one? Yep. All right, we're back to Jason. This is probably a question for Dave, but what do you think is the best limited set of all time and why? Mm. All right, everyone but Dave, answer this. Best limited set of all time. Stan, what's your favorite limited set? Yeah, so I don't think you can objectively say what the best limited set of all time. Because I do. You, you think it's objective? <laughs> I think I think there is a I think there are some contenders for the best ever. Yeah, I don't. Sure. I, sure, I don't know if it's objective, but I think uh, I think there are some good answers to that question. Yeah. I feel like the top four are pretty well agreed upon by a lot of like the hardcore limited people. But let's go back to Stan's answer before we no, let's delve talk about into what the, what, the, what the community thinks. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love Ammon Kit Block Limited, Triple Ammon Kit, as well as Our Hour Ammon Kit was some of the most fun I ever had drafting. Yeah. Um, I also loved Strixhaven Limited. Like, I drafted that a ton. You just want to learn some lessons, huh? Listen, that's that's me. I, I keep having these nightmares that I'm back in school and playing Strixhaven Limited helped resolve some of that trauma. Shane, what do you think the four agreed on sort okay. of can it? So I'm I'm going to say them. You tell me if, if I'm right or not. Okay. Okay. Cons. Yeah. Triple cons. Yeah. Uh, triple Innistrad. Yeah. Uh, 
Dominaria. Yep. Dominaria. And then the last one would be Rise of the Eldrazi. Some yeah. people really like Rise. Rise Some is one really, of the best. Really like it. Yeah, Rise would be like in the top five. Like, I don't know if there's an agreed upon four, but I think there's like a top five that people would pick four of. So I just said four. What's the fifth one that is on? Is there a fifth one on that list that? I'm trying to remember what it is because I'm not a hardcore limited head, but like I was hoping you were going to say it, Dave. What what is what is I your, mean another big one is answer, invasion though? block like people yeah, love that, love yeah. invasion invasion block draft um that is kind of during a lull in my magic history I mean I the the place that I fell in love with playing limited was uh what I think a lot of people think was sort of the first booster draft format that people really played and that was um, Weatherlight Visions Mirage uh. But they didn't draft it in that order because we never that we did the reverse thing later. So it was Mirage Visions Weatherlight, you know, was kind of the first thing where people agree on this is how booster draft is going to work. And before that, it didn't really, it wasn't really a thing. Or people did Rochester, did different things. Like the limited was sort of just emerging over time. Then uh, that was the first, that was the time when booster draft really became the thing. I think that my favorite of those five kind of agreed upon awesome sort of agreed upon awesome sets is probably cons uh personally uh, i think that's the one that i had the most fun with i p- definitely played it the most out of that group um i was not really a fan of rise i found rise to be kind of weird and like counter um counterintuitive a lot of times i really struggled a lot with dominaria even though i thought that people thought it was a great format it wasn't really something that i loved um yeah yeah same well dominaria i think is like a limited players limited format mm-hmm uh, where it's like, yeah, I'm I'm identifying these synergies and I'm like figuring this stuff out. And for me, it's just like, uh, I hate the cast a legendary spell thing. Like it's just like you know, there's so much stuff that I just didn't really get and didn't really click with me. And I unfortunately have to agree with you, Dave, um, mainly because it's not a wider variety. But cons was it's it's where it came back to magic. I was playing a lot of it, and. I just liked it. Like I liked the fact that it was a multicolor set. It was it was actually really hard, I think, to draft well, and I never was good at it mm-hmm. at all. Like I was playing a Magic online and just getting crushed, like crushed because I wasn't good at Magic, like especially then. Uh, but and Cons was just a, a cool format with cool cards. Yeah. Now my favorites, I would say Cons is way up on my list of favorites. You know, so much mo- so much so that when you all were nice enough to throw me a party for my 40th birthday, we drafted cons at it. That was pretty fun. Um, the, I really liked Kaladesh triple Kaladesh actually, as well, as far as just a personal oh, favorite yeah. where I, oh, I did, did play really a lot well. of that. That was a good one. Yeah. That was a good one. I think a lot of people don't really like the format and it's pretty aggro. And of course, uh, yes. What's the train? Renegade Freighter? Renegade Freighter, mm-hmm. something like that. That card is just crazy broken, of course, in the format. But um, yeah. I had a lot of fun with it, especially playing Gear Seeker Serpent, one of my favorite favorite limited cards of all time. I really liked Ixalan Block because I'm not good at magic and it's <laughs> on the rails. So it's just like, hey, identify your open area and draft stuff, and then you have a pretty good aggressive mid rangey deck. I often. Mean, triple Ixalan was absurdly fast. Because you either played red, white, or black, white vampire. Like you played red, white dinosaurs, kind of, or black, white vampires, and it was just really, really hard to get to anything else. Uh, Rivals was a very different format, and I, th- I found that a lot more interesting. Although I kind of crushed the cues with Ixalan for a while. My man. All right. Up next, we have one from Odin. Hello, guys. Uh, this is Odin from Norway. Uh, I have a question for you. 
Modern Horizons was started as a way to get modern power level cards directly into the format without having to take standard into consideration. But uh, what's powerful in modern doesn't always translate directly to powerful in standard or limited. So which of the most format defining Modern Horizons cards do you think would be problematic in standard? And uh, which ones would be fine and why? Odin did provide me some more context to this question because he thinks a lot of cards that printed, you know, that get printed in standard are printed for eternal formats in some way, shape, or form, and they end up not being that good in standard. So, like for instance, you know, he wondered if Renin Six would be a card that would be good in standard, and I think it's probably not. You know, what I mean, it, it it really does want a lot of lands in the graveyard to be its best. He even stated that he thinks Ragavan wouldn't be that good in standard because it can't be protected with counterspell and like super efficient removal doesn't exist to clear the way all the time. And so it's kind of like he provided a little bit more context. So what do you all think about this, this question Odin posed? Well, I do think Ragavan would be great in standard. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> to start. And I think the lack of cheap rem- efficient removal is what helps Ragavan be good. And I think if there was a Ragavan standard format, we would see a lot of red decks. Yeah. A lot of Ragavan mirrors or people splashing it, kind of the way that, that it's going on right now. Um, yeah, I feel like it would just be it would be Ragavan plus it'd be red plus whatever color had the most efficient removal, like to clear the way. So like whatever had a two mana or one mana interactive spell plus red. Yeah, I think Prismatic Ending would be one of the best cards still. Oh even my if gosh, it was it'd be, standard, so it'd be so good in standard. Um, I'm trying to think of other cards that. So, so the cards that I think kind of as a blanket would be too strong would be most, if not all, of the free spells. So that includes the elementals as well as like the cycle of forces from MH1, I think would be pretty good. Yeah. Um, just, just free spells in standard is upping the power level of the format significantly. Yeah, I feel like going down a card in standard is not quite as bad because the games go longer. So you just sort of have a longer time to recover from that but at the same time i think they probably wouldn't be quite as backbreaking because you don't have as many all-in strategies like a force of vigor and standard probably wouldn't be as powerful as it is in modern and might not even be an environment where you could play it unless it was like a heavy artifact mm-hmm. or enchantment type theme yeah i mean i think something like fury would be incredible in standard because there's so many decks that are creature oh, yeah. decks you oh, know what i mean so yeah destroying you know maybe sneaking in a three for one and having a good creature off of it later in the game would be really 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 good solitude would be really good um endurance would probably not be good but you know endurance is still a really good creature with flash for the the cost so um i feel like i i understand where the question comes from i think run and six is the almost the best example of something that's not that great because it plays so well with fetches Mm -hmm. um so yeah, that that makes me think of like a lot of stuff that modern does that standard doesn't do as well. Like you don't fill the graveyard as quickly. You don't dig through your deck with cantrips as quickly. You have less efficient removal, less efficient interaction. So like a delve card, like Merktide Regent isn't quite as good, but I still feel like you know you'd run it in a tier 1 control deck, fin- you know it'd be the finisher. Like you'd just be like, yeah, Merktide's my control deck finisher. Uh Delirium cards have like a weird balance in standard, right? Like a card like Dragon's Rage Channeler would be 
good-ish. But like, when are you going to even get that fourth card type? I think the hard part there is land, right? And so Dragon's Rage Channeler would be good, I think. But I think on Holy Heat would be more problematic because it's harder to get lands in the graveyard. But maybe if you've got to play them together, it would be fine. But because you really only have Dragon's Rage Channeler and maybe a few, I don't know, maybe you would play the, you know, Terramorphic Expanse Evolving Wilds in your deck, even though it's a terrible card to make sure that you get a (laughs) land in the graveyard. Dave, uh, you said more problematic for Unholy Heat. Did you mean less? No. Well, I think if you played them together, Unholy, if you could play them together, Unholy oh, sure. Heat would be better because you haven't, because Dragon's Rage Chandler is a way to get a land into your graveyard. Yeah. That's all to turn it into a six. But yeah, I, I don't know. Because um, yeah, I was thinking about Unholy Heat because it's like, I really think you'd have a hard time even getting four card types reliably enough. If, yeah. Like, let, let's say Unholy Heat and DRC was not in the format. It's just like, I mean, it's just a shock, probably, probably 98% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was hard, hard to turn on Traverse the Ulenwald in, in Standard. I don't remember that being, like, particularly huge in that in that format. And that was the best, probably the best Illyrium card that there was from them. And that had a lot of support. You know, that was when people were running, like, those enchantments that popped and right. stuff like that. What about cards like Season Pyromancer and Ranger Captain of Aos? Like, those are cards that I think, though strong, would be fine in Standard, really fun. And well, would, I, would, I, I'm really surprised you guys think Season Pyromancer would be fine in Standard. Like, it has such, it just does so much in terms of like what, it, what it's just, I can filter my draws and make extra tokens. That seems quite good. That is good. I just don't think it's as good as Prismatic Ending, honestly, yeah. or, or as format warping as uh, Ragavan exactly, would be yeah. in Standard, you know? It, it doesn't take over games. Like, A, it's three mana. It's good, but yeah. I don't think you kind of win games entirely on the back of a season Pyromancer. It's just like an awesome value play that keeps games going longer. Yeah. Yeah. I just think about what other cards are like sort of seeing standard play and come through standard at three mana. And I think season Pyromancer will be, they would, they would have to sort of depower the rest of red. It would be one of those things where it's like the rest of red can't be bonkers. You know what else I think would be great for standard? All the horizon lands. Like, Give us sunbaked canyons and fiery islets. Yeah, <laughs> sure, Dave. Those seem too good to stand for a standard to me, but maybe I could be wrong. Well, how prevalent and powerful was Horizon Canopy? I don't. Rem- I was not playing during Time Spiral, so and that's when that was first. That was what that, when that was in standard. Yeah. Okay. So great question, hard question to answer, but I love that one. Also, Odin, congratulations. Just in general, we yeah. haven't we haven't yes. spoken in voice. Congrats to you. Uh, yes, Odin, Odin. Frequent, uh, you did it. Member of the uh, <laughs> the Discord, yeah. All right, up next we have another one from Jason. Hey guys, I've got a two part question for you. First, what are things I should consider when deciding whether or not to bolt the bird? And the second part is, does the bird now include DRC and monkey? Thanks. Well, Jason snuck in a, a secret second episode uh, request episode. It's a good question. Um, I don't know if we're like the authorities on answering this, but I do think that they're, they really are two separate questions in the sense of uh, bolting the bird is a much different concept than killing someone's good early play, right? And so for me, sure, there's a spectrum mm-hmm. there sort of where like Dragon's Rage Channeler and then Monkey and then Bird are sort of, you know, Dragon's Rage Channeler is a threat, Bird is something that pushes them, them ahead really, really far as far as kind of 
mana advantage goes and ragavan's in the middle because it depends on what your your deck has does that make sense well i do think ragavan's a little closer to bird than drc is right Right. you can maybe let drc stick around and not regret it whereas ragavan or a one mana dork essentially those are cards that kind of demand a threat because they have such um, a threatening presence, right? Like they enable crazy turn two, three, and four plays. Mm-hmm. DRC is just a good threat sometimes. Exactly. I think there's a lot of stages of this question too. Like it's it, it could be asked in a vacuum where it's like, is this game one, turn one, or is this game two? And your opponent is on the play and they know what you have and they play a Dragon's Rage Channeler. And it's like, they know your deck's full of removal. Is this bait? And like they're just going to stick a better threat on turn two, and you might be better off letting this this creature live because you know they might just going to follow up with something like a monkey or maybe a tarmogoyf or something like that that is actually going to be a better threat. I think what you guys said is really important, right? Which is like there's a slight difference between mana acceleration and just a good threat, and I think a lot of it comes from just knowing what can be played against you on turn three and how damaging that can be. Like, is it maybe against Yogmoth? you really want to keep them off their turn four play, which is Yogg, right? And so I might wait till turn two to kill the the bird and maybe do something else that actually is a tempo play on my end, where it's like, I'm going to play my monkey, although monkey against Yogmoth really sucks in general, but you know what I'm saying. It's like, what can I do on my turn one that actually is a, a tempo positive play versus taking care of their ignoble hierarch uh, when I don't really care about it until the third or fourth turn. So that's the kind of stuff that is, is contextual and requires contextual knowledge. But I think largely, I think the, the meat of the question is how many turn one threats are must remove in today's modern. And I think there's more than there used to be. Yeah. So that kind of gets to what I would say is the answer to the core question is like, what do you consider when you bolt the bird? It's for me, it's like, do I have a removal spell? And if yes, I think you have to kill the acceleration. Like, I don't think that anecdote or heuristic has changed in modern or magic, really. Yeah, and the big thing there is that people sometimes make risky keeps when they have a mana dork, too, right? So sometimes you can just totally obliterate their game plan by getting rid of it. So if you let it stay, you're way behind. If you kill it, you might be way ahead suddenly. And so there's a big like reward out of killing it, I think, that's not present for killing something that's just a good threat. Yeah, but like I was getting at, I think Jason is like this. This could be a whole strategic episode of, of the dive down, right? And just get at get at the efficiency of modern, and what tempo looks like in modern, and all that kind of stuff. Like, what is advantage, and how are you pressing your advantage, or trying to get it back? And you know, we've done that here and there. So go back to that episode. But thanks for the this good question as well, Jason. And this next one is from our friend from across the pond, Steve. Hey dudes, greetings from Rainy Netherlands from Steve. I've got a bit of a generic financial question. How do you look at the value of your collection? Let's say if all your cards are worth 10k, if you'd buy, be buying them now, how much do you consider you have in magic cards? Would you think of it as 10k or less or more? Why? How much less and more? And also a slightly related question to that. Where do you see yourself in 10, 20, 30 years in regards to magic? Will you still have all the cards and play the game? Will you give it to your children? Will you sell? Love this question because 
I think the three of us, or at least I look at my collection differently than the two of you. You guys have more similarities than than I do. Because I don't really think about the monetary value as much as the playability potential, wherein I've really enjoyed over the years building a modern collection, knowing that I can just grab and go different decks on the fly if I want to. Same. It, and to me, that's that's really how I value my cards. It's like, do I have the capacity to play X, Y, and Z? And if I don't, sad. I don't necessarily think about the monetary value of it at all. I don't use any of that like MTG Goldfish or other <clears throat> software to do that. In part because I have so many cards that inputting it feels like such a pain in the butt these days. And I don't, I don't need that information or care. Yeah, I will say that's definitely how I thought about building my collection, like how to decide what to buy and things like that is not at all based on financial value. Like it's, it's all based on playability. So I'm totally aligned with what you're saying there, Stan, even to the extent where like, you know, when modern Masters 17 came out and the enemy fetches were in it, I was like, I'm going to finish my sets of enemy fetches, even though I don't have any decks that need verdant cat. I don't have the cards to play verdant catacomb. I'm just going to get verdant catacombs. Cause I know I want to have, have the ability to expand my, the things that I can grab and go kind of like you said, which was funny because Dave, I think Stan, at least before coronavirus and stuff like that was playing a good amount more paper than we were, but it's just like sort of, the engagement with the game for me is both as a player and a collector and an enjoyer of the game. And so like being able to say I can play this deck or being able to pivot or something like that is really just fun for me, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, in some ways, our main way that we engage with the game is as podcasters. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's, that's the main way that we engage really like at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, I certainly have switched over to being like, the uh, aspirational I'll, I'll play paper someday yep. person. And then I don't often have time to, you know what I mean? And so that's how I ended up getting into magic online. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll just say, I'm really looking forward to my kid to have a routine bedtime because <laughs> he's still n- newborn enough that his bedtime is whenever he really wants it to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But once we can start putting him down at like seven or eight o'clock, I am really thrilled to start to go back to the LGS because that was always my favorite way to engage with the game. For sure. But uh, I mean, uh, Steve did ask the question, like, you know, how do you look at like a raw collection value? And like, what do you think? How do I think about it in terms of a monetary value? Yeah. Different question. Also something we can answer. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like I do, I track everything in goldfish um, mainly for a variety of reasons. One, I'm surprised you don't stand because what I like about it is being able to say, what do I have from a deck and what am I missing? And you can do that when you, one, I look at goldfish constantly. So I'm fine giving them six bucks a month uh, for the account, mm-hmm. track my inventory in there. And then when you do that, you can click on a deck list and say, what do I need from this deck list? What do I have from this deck list? And that's really valuable. And so uh, along with that, you have your collection management that will track pretty much TCG mid, I think is where they get the data from. That's what it is. And so you can then have an idea about the general monetary value of your collection, what's going up, what's going down and things like that. And so what I will do in terms of like what the actual sort of replacement value is, is like cut about a quarter of that off about because TCG mid is, can be a decent amount higher than TCG low. And 
you know, a lot of stuff you can buy below TCG low if you want to use Facebook or something like that. So maybe more like 15 to 20%, but really in terms of like raw, how much did I spend on these cards or perhaps how much are these cards currently would they cost me to replace right now? That's about what I'm looking at. The problem is, is sometimes you make mistakes in your inventory where it's like I've sold stuff and not and forgot to remove it. I've, I did like a bulk sale of like what were bulk rares of the time to like an LGS. And one, that was pretty stupid because like I had stuff in there that wasn't really bulk. And then I inv- didn't inventory that correctly once it was taken out. And so there's a lot of stuff where it's like, oh, Ulrich of the Kalen Hordes is $11. And it's like, I look in my bulk rare and mythic and it's like, oh no, it's not there. It's gone forever. I've lost $22 because I sold it for a quarter. Um, but I don't know. It largely, I think that I know the value of my collection is pretty slim in terms of like dollars I can quickly extract from it. Like if you're going to do a bulk sale, like, well, that's like probably 50 cents on the dollar if you're lucky. Depends on the cards, but yeah. Yeah. Like if you just do like, I'm going to sell my collection and, and go for it. Like typically, yeah, you're not going to look at a ton, but I think ultimately I agree with Stan where it's like cards for me, the value is them as game objects. And the financial aspect is just kind of like a fun thing. Like it helps me manage my bankroll. Like I like being able to buy stuff cheaply and then watch it rise. I like being able to like spec a little bit. Like, and I'm not spec, I never buy like 30 of anything, but my, I might buy an extra two, something like that for kicks. But yeah, I, I just get a lot of value out of the emotional attachment to the game and the collection aspect for sure. So I think to build out on this question a little bit more, I think I do have kind of a third thing because I have actual collectibles, I guess, oh, yeah. I would say in Magic still that I use Goldfish to track as well. So part part of what I'm doing there is, so I, I did Goldfish. Stan, I'll tell you, putting yes. your, in, your inventory into Goldfish was something that I spent a lot of time doing not too long after I had my first child because being stuck at home, not sure what else to do. Don't want to go out. Don't want to, you know, want to be around in case the kid wakes up started inputting cards and goldfishes. So that's like the kind of thing I enjoyed doing when it, when with free time at a certain point in time, uh, I, I do like it. Like Shane said, because of that ability to just look at a deck and like check it. So I have my whole modern collection logged into goldfish and that's like, commons everything cards that i think are playable i have a whole bunch of cards that are just bulk cards they're not inventory they're just in a box that says bulk on it and they're organized by set so i don't try to inventory that stuff you know i have thousands of commons going all the way back to revised that are not an inventory of any of any kind but i do have that added factor where like i have a bunch of you know i have a stack of like 200 alpha commons that I got as part of my father's collection. I input it, all of those into goldfish so that I can keep an eye on how much those are worth. And I think that, you know, when I look at that kind of stuff, it's sort of like, I'm just trying to keep an eye on it, Steve, to see when it feels like, Hey, if I do need to sell some of these things to give money to my children, then that that's what I've got that stuff for. So I, my intention is sort of like, I would love to keep these and just give them to my kids for them to have and go forward with, you know, for, I have four beta counter spells. Take a look at what those are at TCG mid right now per, per thing, which is like, it's insane. Um, they're not in great condition, but 
Um, so I do have two parts of my collection. One is the cards I actually intend to play with, which is my modern collection. The other one is the stuff that I happen to have that I'm sort of taking care of until I give it to my kids or I sell it to be able to pay for them to go to college <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. But well, that gets kind of the next part of Steve's question, right? Which is like, I think we're going to answer this pretty quickly, but how do you see your engagement with magic progressing over the next decade or more? Like, do you, I, I didn't even have to, I never thought about this until the question was raised. I hope I don't quit. So for me to either quit magic or to sell out of my collection, I think either means like my relationship with magic has died. Yeah. Or I'm in desperate need of cash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think which is lose lose, right? As long as I like magic, I hope I can keep playing it. And I think those go hand in hand, of course. Um and I, I guess I'm, I'm to the point now where, you know, I'm older, so I don't have to do like the sell my collection, have a down payment on my house thing. I've got that snowball of, of house ownership rolling. So I'm kind of, yeah, you got that equity. I'm ahead of that, thankfully. <laughs> um, but, you know, stuff happens. And I hope that magic continues to be a game I want to play. I do want to play with my child or children one day. Like, Man, I hope magic's still good in 20, so. 15 years-ish. Well, I'll have all these good old cards. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was good 15 years ago. I mean, they've... They've been keeping it up, right? So, Dave, here's what I'm thinking in terms of playing with kids. And let me know what you think as a, as a more experienced dad. I Should I try to instill the love in them and encourage it or, or do reverse psychology and wait for them? Uh, another play? special request episode from Stanislav. <laughs> I have, I have no idea. I'll let you know. Like right now, I let my kids open packs with mm-hmm. me and they can look at cards. My, my, oldest is six my youngest is three you know neither one of them seem ready for you know i've heard of kids being like people being like yeah i started playing magic when i was six that's great for some people i guess i don't think my my oldest son is ready for a game with that many rules or has the attention span for something like that at all so um you know, I hope that they like the pictures and then maybe when they get a little, little older, maybe they'll think I'm cool enough to hang out with and learn the game. <laughs> they definitely are super aware of magic. Like we'll go to the store together. My son sometimes will, will be like, stop looking at magic cards on your phone. <laughs> like he's, he's very direct. How does stuff he care? Like that. What's that? What? He, want, he wants he dad to be present. Cause he wants me to be, yeah, he wants me to not be looking at my phone and like mm-hmm. hang out with him and stuff. I and see. he's like, stop talking to your friends. No, you gotta talk to your and friends. And I'm like, okay, fine. But, um, I, you know, I hope that it's still good then. And I would love to share it with my kids. You know, I, I played magic with my dad and it was something that was really fun for us to do together until he opened a store and, uh, it kind of became a different thing. And now he doesn't like the game anymore, but you know, that was good times together learning to play it. And so I hope that I can do that with my son, sons too. All right. Awesome. Deep question. Uh, we got to speak a lot on, we have another one from Jason. Do you guys have any personal rules or strategies uh, related to acquiring cards to make sure you get the most bang for your buck? So I wanted to ask that one right after the previous financial question, uh, because I, I have, I have a, my tactics. I'm curious how much they overlap. And I have, I have things that I would, will say as a rule, but not follow as a rule. And the number one rule is don't buy sealed product. Mm. Uh because you just you're almost always, basically, ninety nine percent of the time, going to get more value for your money out of not sealed product. Just buying singles, buying the cards you need or want. Can we take Shane's rules one at a time? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I here. Let me tell you. Let me just say one thing. I opened like three, four ish boxes of Modern Horizons two. Let's say. Mm-hmm. 
And I actually feel like there were so many cards that I wanted out of that set that I didn't feel bad opening opening yeah, a sealed that, product that, to that. that. I felt like bad. I was constantly getting cards I wanted. Um, but yeah, standard sets. Oof. It's like, yeah. I mean, I do it for fun. I like to yeah. buy one box of every standard set, open it up. It's fun. But I think as far as like a strategy for acquiring car like more cards in my collection that I'm going to play with in modern, it's, it is kind of a lose losing proposition there. Um, yeah, it's a, the fun has to be worth it. And maybe if you really like opening standard, you know, lottery tickets, go for it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have stopped. I stopped buying standard sets. I realize they just, I get more stuff that I have to process or figure out what to do with or figure out how to sort and where to put it. Uh, that it's just not worth it to me. I, I should probably be better about that, but I, you know, the scratch off is fun. I think sometimes. And also I just love buying pre-release boxes in particular. Like whenever so a new weird. standard set comes out, like so getting a pre-release kit, either because I'm going to plan a pre-release or just like as a nice little sampling of the new set sure. with an extra foil. Like, I don't know. I find that enjoyable. Another thing that I use as a rule is I don't buy hyped cards almost ever. Unless it's like, okay, I don't buy expensive hyped cards. I will pay uh, what I think is going to be a fair cost for a hyped card, but I won't buy a hyped card, especially one that's coming out of a standard set, because typically you're going to be paying what standard players are paying for, and it's not their modern role, almost always, right? Yeah, one of the biggest examples of this, if you want to look in the recent past, is Teferi Hero of Dominaria. That was like a fifty or fifty-five dollar card for the entire time it was in modern or in uh in standard, and then as even though it still played in modern some, as soon as it left standard, it went down to being like a twelve dollar card. Like that kind of thing will repeat itself, especially with mythics, yeah, quite quite frequently. Um, so I, I agree with you that it's it's best to try to avoid things that are standard playable if you can do it. Yeah, uh, like what I typically like to do is like fo- uh, uh, if they hit they hit and they likely won't go up a lot. That's what the reason I'll avoid them is like, I don't just avoid them to save money. Like I'll avoid them because they're almost always going to go down. Mm-hmm. And even if they stay the same, you're, you're going to, you're going to ma- save more money by not buying it than you will by buying it. Yeah, very, very, that's very true. often. Um, and so what I try to do is focus on like role players or things that have potential, but aren't really there yet. So like that might be in recent sets, like modern horizons Two reanimator stuff where that stuff was bottom basement pricing and now it's gone up quite a quite a bit it's still not tier one by any means but it's still something where it's like hey i knew i wanted to play this deck i knew someone would figure out something cool with it and i quote unquote saved money by kind of just being aware of it early so i think it's kind of like just pay attention right yeah, I mean, one other strategy I have in there too is like, if I see a card that I like that's a mythic that's two dollars, I don't even hesitate to buy it. Like, there that happens sometimes. It happened with Arclight Phoenix when Arclight mm-hmm. Phoenix came out. It was like a two dollar mythic in pre-orders, and I heard people yeah. talking about it on Twitter. And then I looked at it, and I was like, "This rewards you for casting a lot of spells, and it seems cool. I'm just gonna buy it. It's two dollars. That's fine." Um, I think that that happens in in quite quite often with standard cards in particular um, yeah, mythics mythics are worth paying attention to in general because like it, when they hit they can hit big and if it's a two dollar mythic like you're you're probably going to make more money in like the next five years as it creeps up in commander like there's just so right. many mythics that see some kind of play and eventually it's just like it was worth it you know what i mean like recently we we've talked about fury a lot 
like Fury at like three or four bucks. It's like, this car's too good to be three or four bucks. And now it's like 15. And yeah. just like, that's just one of those things where I identify the cheap, like cheap mythics because there's not that many mythics out there. And it doesn't happen as much with rares anymore. It yeah. used to be a real, but rares back in the day were the things that were super costly. And now it's the mythics that really drive that for the most, the most part. Yeah. That's a rule I didn't um, put on this, but I definitely would just be like, don't overpay for rares. Like rares crash hard, especially now in the world of collectors, boosters and things like that. Like yeah. just rares are not expensive, hardly at all. One of my favorite things to do is to keep an eye on Facebook marketplace um, more so than Craigslist these days. But I think, Facebook Marketplace, especially in bigger cities and markets, yeah. you'll have a lot of people kind of just moving cards locally. And I've gotten a lot of great deals that way. Yeah, buy stuff at, at set release. Everyone's opening their boxes. They're trying to beat the next lowest price. Stuff flattens out quickly. Mm-hmm. Another one is if you're going to buy singles on eBay, I mean, always make sure that the eBay seller has like a lot of sales and reviews. But it's okay to use the make an offer oh, yeah. feature on Works eBay great. and try to facilitate a, f- a deal for yourself. So if someone's selling, you know, a certain card at around market price, you can try to make an offer for five, ten bucks less. And worst thing that could happen to you is they just say no. For um, sure. And I and I know patrons have mentioned getting some sweet deals that way as well. Yeah, you're not going uh, to make someone at the LGS mad from your bad offer. You know what I mean? It's just some it's some random seller out there. Right. Yeah. I think to take a different tack there. So I, I don't spend a lot of times in the, in the marketplace because I, I feel like there's like a time component there that I don't have, Yeah, in, like dealing time with people, money. going to find them. Da, 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 da. So, you know, I've talked about this a bunch of times. I buy from the major retailers mostly. I buy from Card Kingdom like 75% of the time that when I buy singles, it comes from Card, Card Kingdom. Card Kingdom, get at us. I use their buy list feature extensively, honestly. And the thing that I do is like, you know, I, I keep an eye out, I don't know, every three months or so, I'll think about the sets that I have that are from the past, and I'll just go and look and see like what rares might have popped off from Commander recently that I don't know about on their buy list. So I'll look at like Rivals of Ixalan, for example, because I opened a bunch of that because we were, we were testing for a Grand Prix yeah. with that. So I had a bunch of cards from that. We did a big event, um, had a bunch of side events, and I went and looked at that buy list and they were buying that uncommon pitiless plunder or whatever for like $8 a piece. And I had, you know, seven or eight of them. And I was like, so I just put them in a box with some other stuff, shipped it out there. And suddenly I had like $60 in credit and I just accrue that over time. And I don't do that a lot with like marquee cards. Like I don't tend to move cards that are really expensive that way, but you know, things that were bulk rares, commander staples, stuff that like my play group doesn't really want. And, you know, things that I have a lot of quantity of are things that I will will buy list in particular right now and just try to build up time. I mean, I just sold, um, you know, I think 14 copies of Mystic Remora from Ice Age for, yeah. for like $11 in credit a piece. And it was like, it's my old collection I've had forever. I'm not going to do anything with these cars. I know I would do better if I had put them up on on Facebook, but then I have to send out 14 different mystic remoras to people who want them, want want a piece. And I'm just not, I'm just not going to do that. So, you know, if I was trying to sell my playset of force of negations or something, then I would yeah. do a market, but and you can sell it to the citizens of the nation. Sell right. it to me. I want to, I think Dave, what you get at in paying attention, it's really important. I think both as a buyer and a seller, like the the curve for cards spiking can be quick and then the drop can also be quick. So like if you see something on a stream somewhere, 
you can, or like it used to be on coverage, you could see something on coverage and just jump mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, well, I no one identified this. This is underpriced, or I'm going to need to have this for like this kind of deck. And so you move fast and you can probably save five, 10 bucks maybe. And then selling is the same way, right? Like sometimes a card peaks, like recently a couple of EDH rares that I had from like the one EDH deck I built, like spiked a lot. So it's like, I better sell this. Like I'm going to put this somewhere so that I can get some maximum value out of it because it's just sitting in a pile somewhere. Um, so yeah, move fast, be willing to sell what you're not playing to. I think it's just cardboard. Like, yeah, I disagree with that, but I mean, uh, you know, I think sometimes oh, it depends on what you're not playing. If it's like a random EDH rare, yeah, sell it. If it's, uh, your second set of Snapcasters after selling your first set of Snapcasters, that's okay too. If you're me on your way to your third. Yeah. But anyway, good question. I like talking about finance stuff, but I don't want to get too deep in the weeds there. So up next, we have a question from Grant. Hello, Dive Down. This is Grant from Alabama. And other than Faithless Looting, what card would you want to unban in Modern and why? Cryptic Command. <laughs> a bit of a leading question there, Grant. Well, do we? Do any of us still want Faithless Looting unbanned? Don't we kind of agree that would be scary? Uh, I don't know. Maybe now. Maybe with, with uh, Faithful Mending. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe with... Be even worse now. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I thought a lot about this question because I looked at the oh, I looked no. at the list. I'm gonna I have to be brief though because we're gonna run out of time. But like I'm gonna ask you guys this. Like when when you think about unbanning a card, do you think about like sure the power level is not as sort of like in my brain, the power level is not as bad as something that is already in the format? Or do you think about like what would happen to the gameplay of the format if it was unbanned? Do you know what I mean? Like that's kind of that's for me it's where I lean. Is like sure, it might not be the new tier zero or even tier one, but like, would it, would it lead to gameplay experiences that I was not into? Right. And like something like, do I want to play against twin? Like, no, I don't need combo control to be even in like the tier two of a format. Like, do I want grindy combo engines that are confusing and take forever? Like, no, I don't want Kark clan ironworks. I don't want second sunrise. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think there's anything I would want would want unbanned. I mean, would want unbanned in the sense of think that it was okay to unban. There's 46 cards on the list. I feel like I'm kind of okay with all of them them staying on the list. The one I would enjoy the most is probably Once Upon a Time in a weird way. Hello. I was thinking this as well. Oh, really? Were you really? I, I was thinking this as well, yes. Where I don't think it would be that bad for the format if Once Upon a Time was unbanned, but it's a free card and it does something really powerful. And so it would be pretty bad for the format, pretty homogenizing for the format. But um, it's not the same thing as unbanning Twin, you know? Yeah. And the crazy thing about Once is that it wasn't in the format for that long before it got banned. And it wasn't like a Hogak situation either, or like an Oko situation where it was like, as soon as that card got cast, you just like all the blood rushed out of your face and you felt hopeless. It was just kind of like an, an annoying free spell that your opponents cast and it made Primeval Titan and Eldrazitron really, really good. Right. Once upon a time, it's um, too good. You both of you were madmen. I didn't say it wasn't too good. I said, what card would I want unbanned? Yeah. I guess that would be the one so I you, would you want, want You want Jun Saga to always have Ragavan or Dragon's Rage Channeler on turn one. Or Urza Saga, depending yeah, on what you, you want. want. Yeah, or you want Yawgmoth to always have what it wants. 
Yes, I do. You're I no guess fun, Shane. The one card I would, which people come back to all the time, is like Bridge from Below. I guess could be unbanned without that's being just not that big of a it's deal. It's just a useless card. It's like why, why but, unban it? But that's how I feel about almost all the cards on here. So I'm well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ponder Preordain. Don't you think one nope. of them would be okay? Nope, I do not. One, just just one nope. of them. Why? Well, one, I think Ponder's too good, and Preordain would. They, is it decks already good? You don't know the answer to this. There's there's no blue decks do not need Preordain, but they Can don't we? have to need them <laughs> for this card to be fun to play with. Sometimes. Yeah, I think I think the balance of the format is fine right now. How about Git? Can I? Can we just have Git Pro? Yes, let's then do it. Shane, let's have if you're going to be mean, can we have that? Can we Shane, just have that? A dream, like this is just a thought experiment. I, know, I think the problem, what this really gets at to me, is like once you close a door, it's hard for me to imagine like what happens in an environment we are used to when you let something back out, right? And like maybe that's just something that can happen in an experimental area, like unbanned tournaments, or like we're gonna, you know, it's just like the kind of thing that I don't need to have test a lot of these. I don't need to test a lot of these. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna rephrase Grant's question in a different way. Wizards has frequently unbanned cards in the past from in modern, right? Sure. I want a prediction of what the next card from these 46 cards to be unbanned will be, because I believe one of these 46 cards will be unbanned at some point. If you had to pick one that will be unbanned, which one would it be? Which one do you think it will be? I don't want you to pick the safest one. I want you to think, pick the one that you think Wizards will actually unban. I'm curious if they'll ever give people back Birthing Pod, mainly okay. because I don't think it's it's not that fast of a card to get out. Pretty, It's not too fast. I mean, you have the Phyrexian Mana. Uh, it's still kind of slow, I think. Um, and people who never experienced it will be like, oh, Birthing Pod. Like I get to try this deck I've heard about you know, five, six years ago. So... I can see that maybe. I've heard a lot of people mention stuff like, uh, what's the the green one that can tutor up the the dryad arbor one everyone hates. Uh, green, green sun, sun zenith. Yeah, green sun zenith. Yeah. That one's like people have mentioned as being safe, but I don't know if that's the case. Okay, so you're you're saying birthing pot is the is the one that you think oh, will be sure. on band next? Yeah, fine. <laughs> okay, Stan. Ah. Uh... This is the hardest question I've ever had to answer in my life. I mean, GTA maybe? I can see wow. GTA getting unbanned in modern. Just, just eliminate creature decks. Or make them better. Or make Stoneforge awesome, I guess. Fine, fine but with yeah. me. I'm loving Stoneforge lately. Dave, what do you think? Uh, I think it's Green Sun Zenith. It is, it, that's it. what I would say. All right. <laughs> cool. You ready for the next one? Yeah. All right, we've got a final audio question. And as you might have guessed... It's from this episode's sponsor, Jason. Do you have a favorite top deck moment where either you or an opponent top deck the perfect card at the perfect time? Okay, I want to go first because this one is a fun little story that I hadn't thought about until I thought about this question. And this is another story about Stan playing Is It Phoenix? This is after Modern Horizons 1 came out before Hogak was banned. And I remember because... Um, this was like one of the tournaments after Zach Allen had discovered Esper Charm and basically built Esper Control to beat up on both Is It Phoenix and, in some cases, the Hogak deck. Um, so I didn't do great, but I was playing against uh, an eight rack opponent. Okay, I'm on Phoenix. They're an eight rack. Um, and what was really interesting and memorable memorable about this game is that they got me to zero cards. I got them to zero cards in hand. <laughs> 
And then we were just top decking against one another over and over. And we both just kept top decking gas into gas into gas. <laughs> and it just remained this game of like one for one against each other with no cards in hand. I think I managed to answer their rack effects. And it was just like, who's going to win the top deck game? And I ended up winning that match uh, just by the skin of my teeth. But it was this funny moment where it wasn't any one top deck that won me the game, but five sequential top decks with just the last one being slightly better than my opponent's. Shane, you have a story here. Yeah, this is. I think about this one all the time because one of my it's one of my favorite magic moments. Um, and it was pretty early on when I'm getting back into magic, and I and I was over Dave's place, and we had drafted cons at his house, uh, and this match was as you might on moto you know, on, on, to be on clear. moto magic online. We're running out of time. Surprise! Our our opponent was like a two or three life. We had maybe you know eight nine seconds left in our turn. We had no outs on the board. And it's just like, well... We were going to die the Let's next see what turn. happens. So we untap, upkeep, draw, draw arc lightning. The only out in our deck. And I'm like, I'm, I'm yelling like, Dave, hurry, tap, tap things. And like, you know, you cast it. You have to click up twice on them because you have to assign all three points of damage to them. And, you know, we, we tap cast. The opponent goes to zero or negative one. We win the game. I think there's like literally one second left on the clock. Maybe maybe three. I'm, I'm going to remember it as one. But that's the one that, that still gets me. It still gets me in the feels because, like, I'm sure I've had more meaningful top decks or, like, ones that are like this happened in a, a tournament of some kind. But, like, that was just the best combination for me of, like, get wrecked, otherwise unwinnable <laughs> situation with my buddy. So it's, you know, it's a twofer. We also had my computer hooked up to the HDMI port of my TV yes, for some yes. reason. So we were on a TV playing Moto and our our partners were upstairs waiting for us to finish so that we could like go to the bar or go to dinner. I don't remember, but it was That's like, funny. you said this draft was only going to take a little bit of time. And we, you know, it was getting late and we were like, we got to go. And then we ended up, I think we it sounds like embellishment, but yeah. I like it. No, it's true. This is all. What's true. your favorite one, Dave? That's also my favorite. My one. man. So, twofer. <laughs> so we ran out of audio. Well, you don't run out, but some people just you know had easier for them to do a text than an audio question. So let's start with Tokyo Daylight, one of our newer citizens of the nation, and they ask if you lost all of your cards and had to start from scratch. Which deck would you buy into first and why? I'd probably go the same route that I originally took, which is like some blue adjacent control deck and and build out from there until I can play like various is it Azorius or Just Sky strategies. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that answer. That's probably the same thing I would do, although I might these days might end up with red black Larissi kind of deck. If I was gonna start, I'm probably enjoying that. It's like a good That's stuff deck. That's not around, I know, right now, but I, I, yeah, good stuff deck's a good stuff deck, right? So you get to play Thoughtseize, you get to play Lightning Bolt. Um, my gut was to say, is it tempo like Murktide? But um, I think that if you buy Murktide, you can make your way to Red Black pretty quick. If you buy Red Black, you can go the other way too. Yeah. So I mean, this is so boring. It'd probably just be like Burn. It's cheap. It's, a, it's always yeah. decent. I have fun playing it. It's just like, hey, yeah. If I just was like, hey, I need, I need to, I need, if I need to get back into modern tomorrow, I'll just buy burn and and then play it. I'll tell you really quick what I wouldn't buy if I was in a situation where I had no deck and I was just starting into modern. I wouldn't buy like hammer. 
I wouldn't buy like cascade decks. I wouldn't buy the I wouldn't buy the decks that are tricky and might be really hamstrung by one card getting banned. Exactly. Potentially. I think if you buy burn, they're never gonna burn ban out or ban burn out of existence. If you buy a control deck, they're never gonna ban all those cards. So if you are in a situation like this, if you're just starting to play modern, just keep that in mind. Watch out for decks that have a real key card that will make a lot of cards in the deck not good anymore. Yeah, like you know, Jason sponsored this episode was like just finished like foiling out ad nauseum, and then Simeon Spirit Guide gets banned, and so that deck is definitely a lot worse now. And so that just kind of stinks. It's like, you know, it's, it's a passion project and a passion build. And I'm sure Jason's not bummed about it in terms of what his, what he bought, but it just sucks to be like, if that was your only deck, then that's, that's a real, you know, kick in the butt. It kind of happened to me with Splinter Twin. So yeah. just something mm. to keep in mind. Mickey S asks, are there any decks you've played online, but refused to play in person because of the complexities of paper cards he gives the example of dredge online versus dredge and paper because of managing the graveyard or elementals online versus elementals and paper because of all the triggers that you have to uh, think about i do think it's funny mickey gives dredge as the example because like you've heard me say it on this on this pod is like i love playing dredge in paper versus online because online reveals the slot machine nature of the deck which is like something happens and then either it has some triggers or it doesn't but in paper, it's like I have all the physical manipulations of the cards. It actually makes me feel like I'm doing something and like organizing stuff into little piles and and managing the triggers and stuff like that. I actually enjoy a lot more than Dredge Online, to be honest with you. What about you guys? Titan decks. Um, even though I will like occasionally cast a, a Arboreal Grazer in Moto if I'm doing some kind of testing. I don't really like the physicality of those decks in particular, just like holding the deck in your hand and asking your opponent if you can just like skip over shuffling after every like phase of, of a Titan trigger. Yeah. I don't think there is one for me that I have played a lot that I wouldn't play in paper. It's more the other way. There are decks that I would play in paper and not online. Like, you know, back when Heliod was good, I definitely would have played that deck and things like that. But I, th- I think for me, I tend to stay away from the decks completely. I've, I don't think I've ever, literally ever cast a Primeval Titan. I've never done it for any of the episodes where we've tested it. Um, so, yeah. Stay strong, Dave. Mine's a pass <laughs> on that one. <laughs> All right, final question. And this is one of my favorites. It is from Jason, who just went text to this one. What would you be podcasting about if you weren't podcasting about Magic the Gathering? So let me answer real quick, because I have had a podcast before, and I was talking to Stefan in the in our Discord about this the other day, and uh, I used to do a fantasy football podcast. Uh, I do like fantasy sports a lot. I'm less into them now than I was a couple years ago, but um, I, I did that. It was pretty fun. It didn't get quite the kind of reach that we got here. I thought we had a good perspective and everything and it it was fun um i didn't know enough about football to keep going on with it after a year though uh the i think today i would probably just try to do something some kind of i don't know cooking show or something like i don't think there's any good cooking podcast like i've never found a good one that's about food that does a good job of talking about it and so i would love to try to crack that problem i guess stan i've also used to have a podcast before the dive down um i used to do yeah i used to have a show called suburban secrets with stanislav um and it was an interview show where i would just like interview one person for interesting 
tidbits about their lives. Um, and then I, I turned that into a music show called Shy City, S-H-Y. What? Why have I never heard you talk Chicago? about this? Well, this is why I had all that audio gear and was mm-hmm. like, guys, we need to start a new podcast. I have these microphones. Um, I don't think I would do those anymore, though. I feel like if we were to start a podcast together separate shane and i would probably make a video game podcast yeah what i would like stan is something where we could have an original voice you know what i mean and that's what's i think if we did not podcast about magic i'm not sure i'd podcast because mm-hmm. i think podcasting has to come from a p- place of passion and i also think it has to come from a place where you can have an original voice and i think that's one reason that we wanted to do this is because we liked it And we saw a window where we wanted to talk to players like us and who thought like us. And we wanted to sort of build and that building that community and and keeping that community going has been really valuable for me. And so it's like, what else in my life in for you guys, it sounds like you have some ideas, right? It's like Dave's for it's, it's cooking and his perspective on cooking and probably the time, the time frame you have to cook in. Do you know what I mean? Like the Mm -hmm. particular pressures on your life and stuff like that. And so I think that's really important for media creation altogether. It's like, why are you doing it? And what are you bringing to the table is really important. And I don't think you have to be original as long as you like it. That's enough of a reason to create, but I think sustainability uh, and drive comes from feeling a little bit of success and so like if this is getting into like content creation on like a bigger stage or like a a bigger kind of window into the content creation and i think that i really have to have a reason and i don't know if i'd have a reason to talk about anything else besides maybe like tv and film analysis but like what am i bringing original to that and i don't know what that would be yeah, the other one is I would uh, do a, a podcast about the filmography of Meryl Streep called "Taking It to the Streeps." So, so you start with I've the been... title. You're like you're like an Onion article. It's top down kind of thing. Yeah, start with yeah. the title, make sure it carries through. Yeah, um, th- th- that's an idea I've been stewing on for a while. I like it, but I I do think that you know if I wasn't podcasting about magic, would I be podcasting? Probably not, because I don't think we could recreate what we have done anywhere else. You know, what we've done with magic and we've done with modern and we've done with the dive down and the community here, I think has been really uh, a novel experience for me. And I don't know if I could recreate that. And I, and and after doing this, I don't think failure would be palatable. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) God, Shane. (laughs) Wow. What a take. You're going to fail again at something after this. We'll yeah. probably fail at some point with this podcast. We'll probably fail at this. Yeah, I mean, we are, we, we are failing. I don't Slowly know. Slowly failing. Um, failing up. But I do think, I, Shane, I think you make a great, great point. And this is for anybody who is listening who wants to make content of any kind or whatever. Like, you do have to do something that you really find unendlessly interesting because yeah, it has to be. It has to be interesting. It has to be authentic. It has to be. It has to be interesting to you. It has to continue to be interesting to you. And like, it's really hard to do it. If it's not, you know, and so I don't think what we could, I don't think I could do this with something other than magic because magic is such a weird mix of something I love personally, something that's a community that's very talkative around something that my friends like as well. Like it's not, there's not many things in, I think in many people's lives that have that particular mix. Good question though. Fun to think about. I, you know, I constantly want to start new podcasts. If I, if I had more time, yeah, we'd have, we'd have three in the dive down network alone. Yeah. We'd have dive down after hours where we things get spicy. Talk about, yeah, talk, 
Talk about the spicy dishes that Dave has cooked for us. I have uh, I have an idea for one where we talk about uh, the sets that uh, were great and the sets that bounced baby. <laughs> Blank sets. Blank sets. Yeah. Blank the name sets of that show. with Stan and with David. <laughs> yeah, and Shane. I, so I mentioned Shane and I would have a video game podcast. Dave and I would probably have a parenting show. Sure. Parenting show I love. I don't know. Not, we've talked a couple of times. God, not to keep going on with this, but like if we were just to get on on the recording together as a bonus every once in a while, just talk to each other and just put that out as a bonus, like would that be interesting? I don't know. Yeah, I think like, so. The world we could talk needs about media three guys talking about stuff on a podcast. God, you're so right. Like, what are we even doing? What are we turn this off? End this show. It's Stan, over. Take us out of here. Thanks for all the questions, everybody. Jason, thanks for the great idea. Thanks for giving us so much to talk about. It was a fun one. And thanks for supporting us for so long, Jason. We love you. We do. You're Don't important to us. us. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks everyone else who submitted questions. But until then, that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast... Try Podenbox. Shane, how can people submit more audio questions through Podenbox? Are we going to leave yeah, that let's up? let's just leave it up. It's fun. Let's leave it yeah, up. I mean, it's, right. we'll, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's going to be a new thing. If you want to submit an audio question, go for it. And we will we will definitely put a lot of priority on answering audio questions because we know it's an investment on your end. And and if nobody does it, we will cancel our account. How's and the that? show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can tweet us at the dive down. You can email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon, too. Joining at any tier gets you access to our definitely discreet Discord dimension. That's always fun. Chatting with the listeners. Watch us stream. We talk about you know the latest M. Night Shyamalan movies. The beach that makes you old. You can also support the show with a Manitrader subscription. Sign up for Manitraders using promo code THEDIVEDOWN2021. You'll get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and ask us more questions.